0: this is the wet fly swing fly fishing show episode 121 cue the intro welcome to the wet fly swing fly fishing show where you discover tips tricks and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today we'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing fly tying and much more Hey, how's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. I've got a big giveaway going on uh, to win a trip to Pyramid Lake, along with a bunch of great products. We'll be heading out uh, with myself and a couple other uh, folks from the podcast. Just head over to wetflyswing.com slash giveaway to get all the details. In today's episode, I talk with Fred Klein, who breaks down classic wet flies today. We hear about Ray Bergman, the Streamers 365 Project, gets some uh, great tips on tying classic wet flies as Fred describes some of his favorite patterns in more detail. Don't miss this one as Fred shares his top six must-have classic wet fly books. Definitely some classics. So without further ado, here's Fred Klein. How's it going, Fred?
1: Hi, Dave. Hey, thanks for having
0: me. Yeah, yeah, thanks for coming on. We've uh, we've been connecting a little bit on Instagram for a while. Your flies are, you know, are shiny and, and beautiful. You've got all these wet flies, and obviously the Wet Fly Swing is the name of this podcast, and, you know, which is kind of a little bit of a play on words just because it's not all wet flies. But I do love the history, and, and today we're going to jump into some of that mm. history and, and how you tie those flies. Um, but before we get there, can you talk about how you first got into fly fishing and fly
1: tying? Oh well, uh, when I was a when I was a kid, my dad and my grandfather were both fishermen, um, mainly in the Atlantic and the Delaware River. So I grew up on fishing rods. And uh, when I was younger, my dad moved to the country. We lived in the Philadelphia area and bought a farmhouse out in the middle of nowhere in the woods. So. We had a, uh, a a big pond that was spring-fed, and it was full of brook trout. And They ranged in size, but there were plenty of trout on there. They are over 24 inches. Hmm. Brook trout? Brook trout. Uh, brook trout, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Real, real cold water. In the middle of the summer, if you jumped in it, you, you it would sting. <laughs> Damn. Uh, so... I got my first fly rod. I was nine years old and uh, loved it. Uh, someone taught me how to cast and fish and gave me some flies. So I, I went to the library and which, you know, back then that's where you, that's where you, you learn things was from books. Mm-hmm. Um, so the books in the library that I went to were all old books, Ray Bergman, you know, the old the old style books. Um, so I made a homemade fly bite out of a a clothespin and started tying flies. And you know, at that time, we we had a lot of wet flies. Wet flies were so popular that was back in the seventies. Um, and we had we had dry flies, but I always enjoyed wet flies and streamers more than anything. And of course, a lot of the information that we could get back then was from magazines and books uh so outdoor life, field and stream, and that sort of thing um, and back then, there were a lot of the articles about fly fishing were about you know the classic wet flies and the traditional style streamers um, so we had where I lived, we had several streams and rivers that had trout in them so uh, which is, it's in the it's actually in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, so I grew up fishing all the time. I loved it. Hmm. Weekends, nights.
0: Uh, yeah uh, So from from an early age, you've been going. When did you? When did the the wet fly the tying? I guess Instagram. You've been doing that for a few years. I bet you've been tying these wet flies and this for for a long time.
1: Yeah, I, I started out flying, flying the wet flies. and I always loved the look of, of, uh, of the old colorful Royal Coachman and Grizzly King, you know, and the streamers, uh, Carrie Stevens, and, mm-hmm. uh, bucktails and all the old stuff. Um, yeah. so yeah, I started off with all that and I, i fished everything over the years, of course. Um, yeah. And, Damping drives pretty much everything but i've always 've
0: always loved the traditional gotcha, yeah I'm glad the you mentioned. More. You, you mentioned Ray Bergman that's a, a pretty big name is, is would you say he's the maybe you could talk about him a little bit and some of the other big names in the in the classic or, or in that era and kind of who they were, or maybe just talk about him who he was and how what his influence was on kind of some of the fly tying stuff
1: sure uh Ray Bergman. He was he was actually an editor for for Outdoor Life for a number of years, um, from in the 30s to the 60s. He was the the angling editor for Outdoor Life. Um, so he he traveled extensively across the United States and Canada, many many miles, and was a, a very capable, intelligent fisherman, and loved to write about it. Now, Ray Bergman, you know, his most famous book was uh, Trout, 1938. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also had four other other books. The book Trout in 1938 had 440 flies in the book, which is outstanding. It's actually the biggest collection of of flies from pre World War Two, which is mainly what I tie and fish, uh, is right. pre World War II era flies. Um, so he was he was a, a passionate fisherman, and uh, with with all the fly patterns that are painted in the book from Doctor Edgar Burke on the color plates, because of course back then books were illustrated with. Sketches and paintings, hmm. not photographs. Mm-hmm. So every every book on on fly fishing and and fly tying would have been sketches and paintings.
0: Pre World War Two, um,
1: pre World War Two, and then as we get into the fifties, um, Joseph Bates, um, you see some painted flies. and and a small number of photographs, but they were poor quality. Um, So Ray Bergman, uh, mainly the the flies in his book were wet flies, streamers, dry flies with all the dressings, the the recipes, uh, with notes and instructions on how to tie them, how to fish them. Wonderful, wonderful, Hmm. wonderful book on fishing. I enjoy it very much. Would you um, say a lot that? People say it's the Bible.
0: I was going to just say, yeah, that of, sounds like the ultimate resource for that
1: period. It's one of them. A lot. Of, a lot of people call it the Bible of of classic fly fishing. Which it's it's one of them. There were several great works through the years, but that's that's yeah. definitely one that that everyone that wants to either they're going to tie old flies, fish old flies, or just look at them. That's a great resource.
0: That's it. Okay, cool. And can you take us back a little bit? Uh, I mean, I guess he wrote about a lot of the old guys and some of the old flies and all that stuff. Can you, I don't know, just go back in history with wet flies, uh, as far back as you want to go and kind of start there just for, a to set the stage. Um, and I don't know how, how, where you want to start. Maybe I'll just leave that to you. What what do you think would be best to describe kind of what what they're all about?
1: Okay. Well, fly fishing has been around for a long time. Very long time.
0: Yeah. How long, Uh, how how long do we, do we know like how, how long? Thousands. Thousands. Okay.
1: Thousands a year. Uh, There are. There's a lot of talk about it, and you can read a lot of different things. But there's there's uh, some evidence of the Egyptians using feathers and what we would today call a fly to catch fish. So there you go. You know they they imitated insects, and that's fly fishing. Yep. There's there's and and I don't recall the names of all the books and resources, but yeah there's some very old literature from Germany, uh, from England. It's been around for a long time mm-hmm. now in America to start the discussion on fly tying fly fishing in America. We really have to start in England, Scotland and Ireland, which is where our roots in fly fishing come from. Um, uh, the flies and techniques that we started using here in America all came from there. Avid fly fishermen. There were volumes mm-hmm. of books written on fly fishing for trout and salmon.
0: And it was just wet flies no. and dry flies, right? Back, back in that day, there were no, there were really no nymph, nymph fishermen.
1: Uh, it was mostly wet flies. Oh, not uh, even
0: dries, mostly. And wet. Packles,
1: for the most part. Now that, that, that could be debated, but for for the most part, I think I think most flies were were wet flies and many hackles, which, quite honestly, if you tie them small enough, look very much like a nymph. Mm-hmm. Um, very few dry flies, and I'm sure guys did use them. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's so much to the sport that was going on that wasn't written about. Um, but it was not popular. I think dry flies became more popular, um, in the Catskill region in the 1900s. Right. Um, so the flies and techniques that came over from, from Europe with, with the immigrants were used on, on chalk streams, which were slower streams and rivers, um, and many of those flies and techniques worked in, in America, but in America it was different. We had, we had uh, fast moving water, big rivers, rocks. It was, it was a different style of fishing, you know, limestone. Um, so Americans started to adapt techniques and flies um, because they wanted to catch fish. And um, a lot of the, the equipment um, the fly materials and also literature, which was very important, came from came from Europe, and Americans relied on that resource for a long time. Um, the first work, really, in in literature, which literature is really the only thing that we have to to look back on, the, the written print. Um, and some of the old equipment that we see in museums, which help us see how people did things back then. But most of it was from literature. Um, the first guy that really wrote a good book on fly fishing was Thaddeus Norris, um, in America. And he was, he was from Philadelphia and he was a lifetime fisherman, um, he was very well respected, and he was also a very talented fly fisherman. Um, now he was he was born in eighteen eleven, and his book was published in eighteen sixty four. Uh, he was a, a very well read, very well spoken man. Actually, it was said that he was the American Walden. Hmm. Um, but he saw the need to write a book the American fly fishing experience. So he wrote the American Angler's book, 1864. Hmm. He wrote, the the book is, is a wonderful work of literature, actually. I've read it, and I've learned so much from it, even as a modern fly fisherman.
2: Hmm.
1: A lot of the techniques that we use today and skill are the same that, that were used back then. Of course, a lot has changed, but trout are trout. Mm-hmm.
0: And in and that book, back was, there, then, the, was there much, it was mostly still wet flies and that that type of fishing?
1: He had uh, wet flies and hackles in his book, and there weren't many. Um, there were actually sketches, I think, I'm trying to recall how many there were, but it was like six or ten flies that he that he had. And they were, they were hackles. There were a few winged wet flies, um, and a few salmon flies. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now he wrote about what it was like fishing in America in detail, which of course that would have encompassed his lifetime of fishing, which the book was published in 1864. So a lot of what he wrote about were his experiences over the years. What was it like?
0: Yeah, what can you take us there? I mean, what was it like fishing in America back in his time versus? I mean, can you paint that picture a little bit?
1: Oh yeah. Well, uh, first of all, brook trout was the was the native trout to America, and and salmon. Um, Early on in the eighteen hundreds, there were plentiful fish. he talked a lot about, he fished everywhere throughout the country. He, he must've traveled a lot and it makes you stop and think because these people didn't, they didn't have cars. They didn't have trains. then,
0: Including the West and and things like that for steelhead and all that.
1: I'm not sure how far he went, Yeah, but he, he fished, he fished far and wide. Now, back then the mode of travel was was a horse. So it takes quite an effort to get around that far to go fishing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah back in those days. So that's, that's a lot of passion. Yeah. Um, he, he talked a lot about wilderness streams. He talked a lot about rivers that were in more populated areas. Of course, he was in the Philadelphia area. He talked about even back then, he talked about mass pollution,
2: hmm.
1: um, chemical spills. Uh, one, one river we talked about was the Schuylkill river, which flows west of Philadelphia that during that time, an industry dumped some chemicals in the river and killed all the fish off. Yeah, and so people were already taking notice that the the the, the ecosystem was fragile, and if we were going to maintain uh, fish populations, we had to handle it with care.
2: Hmm.
1: Now, the further you went away from big cities, the more wild it got. Just like today, but you were talking about rivers and streams that were loaded with fish. As a matter of fact, I read a book, uh, and I can't recall the name of it, but it was about a, a, a man who was from Harrisburg, and he was, the book is called 30 Years a Hunter, uh, in Pennsylvania. And he was, he was basically a pioneer right around the beginning of the 19th century. And he built a cabin up along the Pine Creek your slate run, and he talked in detail about the wildlife—the elk, the mountain lion, the wolves, the deer, and the trout. And of course, back then there were no rules. There were Indians there, and he was very, very far from any uh, populated area. And he would build a dam in the Pine Creek in front of his cabin, and he would put openings in the rock and and attach baskets and in the morning he'd come out the basket would be full of brook trout and he'd feed them to his pigs for pig feed yeah so things have changed a lot uh, in american streams but i i believe from what i read um back in those days there were a lot of trout yeah that's, that's, that's probably, that,
0: yeah, that's probably. Yeah, that's probably. Oh, right, the 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 Native Americans of that type, right? That's that was a that was part of the deal.
1: Sure. Well, or the Native Charles. Americans they fish. I think that they they did more netting and spearing of fish than they did yeah. fishing. They did fish with hooks, and sure. made of bone and such things. But I think most of it was they would get together in a group and and uh, move the fish in a certain area and catch them with nets and. Exactly. Spears and stuff like that. But it, it must have been really, really amazing. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the further the further north you went away from popular areas, such as, you know, in the beginning, the colon, colonized areas were, you know, New York, Philadelphia, and up through New England. Yeah. The further north you went and the further west you went, the more untouched the wilderness was. That's why Maine was such a, an amazing book trout and salmon fishery, because before the railroad... There was very few people up there.
2: Hmm.
1: You know, we had we had uh, mass timbering going on in the United States, in the Catskills, Pennsylvania. You hear talk of, you know, there was barely a tree standing right. in some of these states. So when they timbered to that extent, they took the shade away. And with timbering came people and people fished and people, people polluted rivers. That's why, you know, a lot of, a lot of old plants you see along rivers throughout the area, industrial buildings were built along rivers for a reason so that they could dump the excess exactly. into the river before there were rules. Well,
0: there's been ups and downs. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing with the, you know, environmental, you know, issues. I mean, it's been definitely really bad and some places have gotten better and we still have issues. Um yeah, I did want to, I mean, I, I think obviously there, yeah, things were a little bit different. I mean, could we talk a little bit about when you think of your fly tying? I mean, and what's your Instagram handle? Grizzly King Fly. Yeah, Grizzly, yeah, grizzly King Fly. And, and you have all these amazing, beautiful shots of old classic flies. Can you talk a little bit about oh, s- some of those flies that you tie? Maybe what's, is there a common common materials that are used for those? And maybe talk about a couple of tips for tying those, you know, how you make them look so clean.
1: Sure. Well, a lot of the old flies and and the flies that I tie are all pre World War II. Actually, the flies the flies that I fish are pre World War. And II.
0: what what happened at World War Two? Why was that a Why is it a pre? Is that just a good place to kind of everybody knows that date, or was there less well, classic no, no, flies?
1: Well, no. For me, no. Actually, classic flies are around and are still used quite a bit. If you go up to Maine, it's really amazing the Rangeley region. You walk in in fly shops up there, and the bins are full of classic streamers. It's wonderful, mm. and you talk to them, and and uh, you know they they still fish the old patterns. It's their tradition. Um, I I would say the reason why I mainly tie flies before World War II is that the books that I focus on were written. Before World War II or shortly after that, which contained yeah. mostly flies, fishing flies from you know that era or, or long before that. Gotcha. But um, it's interesting. The evolution of flies. Um, they were very colorful, mm-hmm. and they were large,
0: how and they large? were shiny. How large?
1: How large were they? Very large. Very large. As a matter of fact. At the American Museum of Fly Fishing in Manchester, Vermont, we visit up there just about every year on trips that we take up into New England and Maine. Some of these wet flies are tied on size 2, size 1, really big hooks, very large hooks. And they were they were used for salmon and, and lake trout and so forth, but they're, they're very large. Um, you know, they they used... Materials that attracted fish, mainly brook trout and salmon. Now, back in those days, brown trout were not an entity in the United States. They were introduced much later. So for the most part, fly fishermen, cold water species, were fishing for brook trout and salmon. Brook trout and salmon, they'll hit big, shiny, Colorful flies like an uh, Alexandra readily. As a matter of fact, we were just up in, in the My son and I were up in the, in the Adirondacks this fall, and I was using Silver Doctors and Alexandra wet flies, which are very, very colorful flies, and the mm-hmm. trout just hammer them. Hmm. Now, if you throw a, a colorful fly like that for brown trout, they will hit it but they'll be a little less reluctant. They're, they're more choosy. Gotcha. So when you look at, when you look at some of the old fly patterns, and think, wow, I would have fish hit that, uh, uh, brook trout and salmon will hit them.
0: Oh, and that it kind of makes yeah. me, it kind of makes me think about the Euro nymphing stuff, you know, where those flies, some of them don't imitate anything. They're just a hot spot. I mean, I'm looking at right now, the pathfinder from Ray Bergman's trout. This is something on your Instagram from 1938. It's a, um, you know, it's a bright, it's a red body, no tail, and it's got that wing, which is the duck wing. Well, can you describe that wing? You've got two styles. Sometimes you see it pointed up. Sometimes it's pointed down. Sometimes it's out. Can you? What is that wing called? Is that is that is there a special name for that type? It's like, it's like the lead the lead wing coachman is what I always think of.
1: Okay, yeah. Well, wet fly wings before nineteen hundred were primarily tipped down. Uh, that was the popular style back then. Um, when you look through books and old fly it, and the museums, you'll see a lot and
0: there, of. The, and there's no reason the for that. That's just it's just the way it was. They just kind of did it tip down.
1: Well, as you look at, at fishing flies, it's like anything else in in, uh, in history. They're they're popular styles, and people do what's in fashion at the time in vogue at the time and that, that was that was in fashion uh, it's very much like clothing um, fishermen talk about what works and and, and they did what, what they saw others doing and what was popular
2: mm-hmm. now it,
1: around the, the turn of the
2: you
1: know, the early 20th century uh, wet fly wings you would see a lot of tip up flies but the the tip down wet fly Followed in throughout the 1900s as well. But when you when you look at the wet flies in Charles F. Orvis, the book Charles mm-hmm. Charles F. Orvis Fishing with a Fly, that's 1883, and then Mary Orvis Marbury, 1892. All the wet fling, wet fly wings are tipped down. Mm-hmm. When you look at Ray Bergman's Trout, 1938. The tips are up, so mm. it was the style of the time. Now I fish these flies all the time. It's it's mainly what I what I fish, and I take videos of of how they look underwater in the current, and it's interesting. I I actually think that a tip down wet fly looks better than a tip up, but they're both they're, they're both good. Yeah, no, I styles.
0: agree. I, I, I think.
1: Once the fly hits the water, they, they kind of look the same. Yeah, once exactly. Once the or they get does look natural.
0: Or they get eaten. Yeah, I'm looking at and now I'm looking at the silver doctor. This is under um f- when when did you post this? September seventh of twenty nineteen. And man, I mean I didn't realize, yeah, the wing on this, you've got married uh one, two, three, four, five, six different colors of and is that just is that duck, is that is that typically just the duck flank or what, what's the feather typically used for the wings?
1: Typically Mallard. goose, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's dyed dyed goose. Just okay. Um, some duck, dyed turkey. Okay, works well. Works I well. Think, I think they will work pretty well.
0: And and on this one, so I, I know you're. I think you're on the ambassador for partridge hooks. Is um, you know, are the hooks? Is there a traditional classic style hook? Is it that? I don't know if it's what is it? it's not the sprout or is there a style that's your classic that they all use back then or were there a few different
1: variations? There were many variations. It would be they would be um, different time periods. Certain hooks were popular. Mm. Um, you know, if you go back into the 1800s, the, the sproat bend, uh, Carlyle bend. It's the, uh-huh. the the bend of the hook is is. Uh, the difference um, now. The sprout bend was was very common throughout the, the early 1900s, and you'll see the Ray Burton's trout.
0: And what um, is the sprout? Just just so people know that don't know, because you don't really see the sprout bend that much anymore, do you?
1: Actually, or, to me, it's common because I use them all. Oh yeah, it's it's fairly common. You know, Partridge of Reddits makes beautiful. Uh, spurn wet fly hooks in different sizes um, it's a, a wet fly hook it can be used for all different sorts of flies actually but it's a it's an, an average size shank with a fairly round bend that extends more at the bottom of the bend mm-hmm yep um that's nice. sort of an old-fashioned look to it but it works very well it's a solid hook yeah it's a strong hook Now, of course, in the 1800s and into the 1900s, flies were tied on blind eye hooks with with silk gut leaders. And in the 1900s, actually, in the late 1800s, they started to make uh, hooks with with eyes. You can see that, actually, in uh, Mary Orvis Marbury's book in 1892, some of the some of the smaller trout flies have eyed hooks and the bu- the blind eye gut hook
2: mm-hmm. and,
1: and silk leader hung on for quite a while. As a matter of fact, when, when, when I was a kid, you would see wet flies tied with leaders. It, mm-hmm. it stayed popular for a long time. Yeah, that's right.
0: That's right. Okay. And so do you have a few, you know, for tying these classics, say just the classic wet flies, um, I mean, they they look pretty standard, right? They got a, a lot of them have a tail, some don't. They got a thin body, a rib. What are do you have a tip for tying those? Like, if somebody wanted to try to make them as nice as what yours look, like any any tips for helping somebody?
1: Sure, um, I'd start off with with some basic wet flies that are popular that work really well. Um, the Professor wet fly, which has been around. For a long, long time, from England, uh, the Grizzly King, um, the coachman, mm-hmm. the lead wing coachman. These are all flies that work wonderfully. Yeah, um, and they still work today. I use them all the time. Yeah, um, it's it's a bit of a different uh, style and thought process tying classic flies. Uh, I would say if you. If you really want to tie wet flies and and fish them and enjoy the whole wet fly classic fly experience, put some time into it. Um, it's it's really a, diff- a, a different process, and the longer you spend with it, you learn the tricks. Oh, there you go. And and they start looking better. Yeah, uh, I'm looking but at the, a lot of. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, a a lot of people get get discouraged but with tying the wings in i know i i tell people it's like riding a bike you know once once you get it it's like casting a fly rod when you first pick a fly rod up it doesn't it doesn't flow no but after you you get it it sticks with you
0: is the key to tying those ends the the um, goose or mouth or whatever you use is the key to pinch really tight and do a loose wrap and come down and and wrap it a few times before you let go of that tight pinch or what, what? What's your secret to debate, tying them and keeping them straight? Because that's what they tend to do with new people, right? They fold or they fall over.
1: They do, yeah, they do. But you you. It sounds like you've tied some mud flies.
0: I, I've tied a few. I definitely. I grew up old school. Like like I said, the lead wing Coachman. I still have you know some in my box. And those wings, I've tied. I, I I wouldn't say they look as good as yours, but I know that's one trick. Is yeah, keep a tight pinch up top.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. The the to tie a, a good wet fly wing, um, proportions on a fly is everything. Uh, you want the, the end of the wing to be somewhere near the end of the hook shank, sometimes a little further mm-hmm. beyond the hook shank. But, um, if you're, if you're tying small flies and you're trying to imitate a may fly, let's, there, there's a fly called a yellow Sally and it's a really good yep. sulfur for imitation. Um, now, if you're going to tie a big attractor fly that that's colorful and dramatic, and it'll swing in the in the, the the drift, and it will spin and vibrate in the water, you know that'll work as an attractor. But if you want to imitate a, a mayfly, you know you can tie it on a much smaller hook and tie a, a small wing on it, and it'll do a better job of replicating a natural insect. But yeah, when you tie a wet fly wing. You pinch it. Make sure you have the right length. You have two two slips of feathers. Pinch it tight to the hook. Let your thread hang. Take one wrap over the feather. Take another wrap over the feather, and then pull it tight. Mm-hmm. If you if you take one wrap and pull the the wing tight, it'll tend to flip on you. Okay. Um, so, so if you take you- two. If you take two, you can let your bobbin hang and the weight of the, uh, the thread and the bobbin should, should hold the wing in place and then you can adjust it. Oh yeah. Make sure it looks good. And then put another wrap or two on it. There you go. Pull it tight. Trim it off.
0: That's it. That's it. And, and when you pick those hack out uh, of those, um, you know, the wing material, you're taking them kind of from opposite sides, right? That one side of the bird and the other side, or are you occasionally getting, is that always the case when you tie those?
1: Yeah, you you, uh, you know, every every feather has a left and a right. Um, you want to take a, a slip off of a left and a right and match them. It should be off the same part of the feather.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The best way to do it is to have two two like feathers that are opposite left and right. Mm-hmm. Cut a slip out of the opposite. Cut them out. Make sure they're the same size. Hold them on top of your hook of course your thread is already the thread is already started on the fly. Um you hold the feather on top of the hook and then tie it on.
0: That's it. Then pull tight. I'm I'm looking at the Royal Coachman wet fly you did on uh, july first, twenty nineteen. It's got in the back, I guess that's golden pheasant tippet, right? You use it for the tail there?
1: Yes. Yep, golden pheasant. It,
0: it looks like you use the tip uh, of the gold, I know on some flies, and I'm not cl- talking classics. But sometimes I'll just strip off some golden pheasant and then match them up. Uh, was that ever the case, or is it always when you're tying these classics? Is the golden pheasant you want just that little tip?
1: No, typically you would you would you would tie in you know, five or six to eight barbules. You would take you would take uh, a section of the the feather and tie them. And I I tie them that way because i think it looks good and it it's a pretty show fly that way they mm-hmm. fish well too
0: yeah as i was gonna say it does look, like, yeah it sticks out
1: i like to cut them cut them out that way because they look nice Yeah,
0: hey, cool how do you tie the um you know your your head cement or whatever you use what are you what are you using it's nice and round it's it almost looks like a nice factory guide you know kind of uh, coated but do you have a special way to do that when you just coat your uh, your head
1: yeah, it's it's funny you you mentioned that a lot of people have been asking me how I get my heads um, to look like that, and all I use is just a, an eight dot uni thread. Uh, I get the the size of the head right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You always you always start tying the head from the front and work your way back. Mm. Um, if you start from the back and work your way front, the thread slips and it can turn into a mess. You start at the front, work your way back, build it up. Um, a lot of people would say a small head is is a, is a you know a better looking, better fishing head, and I agree. Um, it's it's well. Let me back up. When you're tying up a classic fly, whether it be a, a classic streamer, bucktail. Um, a feather wing streamer, a wet fly. You start your thread back from the eye as far back as you want the hind part of your head to be. So as you tie your fly, you leave that hook shank bare. So mm-hmm. people say, how can you have that much material on a fly and the body, the the ribbing, the yarn with the silk? Mm-hmm. And have such a small head. Well there's nothing on the, the 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 hook shank is bare where you tie the head.
2: There you go. Completely it's bare. not
1: all it, it's not being tied over top of all your materials. Exactly. So I use an eight dot, and then I use lacquer. Usually two, three to four coats, depending on the size of the fly.
2: Yep. Now
1: lacquer lacquer takes a long time to dry. Actually for it to really dry it takes days. Okay. You can, yeah, no, I'll, I'll put, I'll put a coat on and let it dry for 10, 15 minutes, mm-hmm. put another coat on, let it dry, sometimes a third and even a fourth coat, depending on the size of the fly. Big streamer heads might take four, or even five coats. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. If you set that fly down and come back and look at it in two days, it looks like shiny thread, thread wraps. It just soaks in and it shrinks. So, yeah, it takes, takes quite a while
0: for a lacquer to, to nice. dry. I'm I'm looking at another one, the native fin. This is back in uh, – this, this is a cool-looking fly. It's orange, white, and silver. Um, looks like uh, you tied this in June 21st of, of this year. And uh, Yeah. That's, yeah. Can you talk about that one a little bit? It looks like there's a fin. There's a series of, of flies there. Well, what you say here is there are a number of brook fin – uh, including the Parmesan bell, which we've talked about on this show before. Um, so, this is a pretty common uh, style of
1: fly. It is. Well, it, it used to be. Uh, trout fin flies are created to look like the fin on the belly of a book trout.
0: Oh, cool. Oh, that's exactly what it looks like. Nice.
1: Now, what what happens is the book trout are aggressive and they're territorial. And they bite each other's fins. Uh, so, especially during the spawn, and I'll, I'll tell you a little story about this. That fly, the native fin, is actually my design. There's there's a number of brook trout fin flies, and I made that one up, um, and I've used it with quite a bit of success with brook trout. And actually, brown trout and salmon will hit those.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There's something about red, white yellow yeah. and orange flies. It's just an attractor fly, you know, for, for, for example, and I'm probably getting off subject a little bit, but, you know, when we were kids, we would fish with rooster tails and net spinners. And, uh, there were big spinners with, uh, colorful feathers and flashy blades with, you know, pink and orange and red and, you know, is it the, the red devil spoons? Is that what it is? Red devil or daredevil? Oh, I think big colorful it. spoons.
0: Yeah. I know what you're talking about, yeah, the red, the red and white spoons and chrome.
1: Yeah. They were very popular and they, and they still work. Those colors are just attract fish. They see that flashing by. Um, but the, the, uh, the brook trout fin wet flies, Are very effective. Uh, As a matter of fact, this fall it was it was during the uh, spawning season for brook trout, and I took my grandkids fishing. And the brook trout weren't weren't hitting anything because when they spawn, they stop eating. They they will not feed.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. As far as I know, from from my experience, they they don't eat. The only fly that I could catch them on was that native I threw that thing in the water and it's they have it because it. They're, they're aggressive. They see the colors, they're in mating mode and they see a, something that looks like a trout fin and they just got to hit it. It's, it's a lot of fun. Wow. So in what, fun. what,
0: and what month is this when you're, when they're spawning the peat or when you could use this, use that tactic of that fly?
1: Uh, October, November.
0: Yeah. So basically if actually,
1: that, yeah, that fly will work all year long. Oh, well, you know, if you to a book, book trout stream and, and that's a very very effective fly how do you
0: so the wings on this one it's orange and i'm looking at um uh, john shuey was on way back in episode 16 of this podcast and he talked about the machine. i think i'm saying that right Par, machine bell
1: machine bell yeah, yeah. I, don't,
0: I don't know if you heard john's story or you, if you know john at all he's kind of a, the west coast he's the editor of the fly um Fly fishing, uh, fly okay. was, yeah, Northwest Fly Fisherman magazine. Um, but yeah, okay, he, he's sure. a big classic, uh, classic tire, m- more like classic steelhead flies and stuff. And uh, well, he wrote the book on classic steelhead flies. <laughs> but okay, sure. but uh okay. he yeah, has a story about the barbershead bell he told in that episode. I'll put a link in the show notes where he he was studying all the classic flies for his book because you know, now classic steelhead flies like everybody's bored of them, right? That's kind of the thing. But he loves them, he still fishes them. And he just wanted to test it out. So he grabbed the Parmesan bill. I think he said for, I think a year, he didn't fish any other fly for steelhead <laughs> except for except for that one. And he recorded right. all the data and he caught just as many fish, you know. And I mean, steelhead's obviously a little bit different than trout fishing. But the point is, is that, you know, he wanted to make the point that, you know what? Classic flies still catch fish. Oh my gosh, yeah. They so, sure do. So and you sound That's like, great. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So it sounds like you
1: Honestly, this... Yeah. This is I, the, I, I fish a lot. I have I have a a lot of good trout water right around where I live. Actually, I have a a, class a wild trout stream behind our home. It's a couple hundred feet behind my house. I walk to it. Nice. And I actually have three trout streams near where I live that I can walk to. And, really. And uh, classic wet flies work. Now <clears throat> I think what I think what happens is. A lot of people want to try old flies, and they're they're full of history, nostalgic. They're beautiful, colorful, and they'll try them for a day or a few hours, and they don't do well with them. Um, There's a technique to it, and it's like any other style of fishing, whether it's dry flies or nipping. It takes time to learn how to learn the ins and outs, of, of fishing with classic flies they they work they work really well mm-hmm. of course the evolution of of flies and fly fishing evolved for a reason because we we got smarter we learned how to imitate you know match the hatch and so forth but a lot of classic wet flies do match the hatch
2: mm-hmm.
1: I, I wouldn't say they match it as well as some of the modern flies but um uh, if you spend some time with, with classic flies and learn how to fish them, learn how to tie them, there's little little tricks that you learn, just like with anything. and like modern streamers. Or, mm-hmm. you
2: know,
1: some of the, some, you know, all the, all the modern flies that we have today, they work so well. You have to learn the ins and outs of it, um, size, different seasons, the water, whether it's high water, colored water, clear water, winter, summer, spring, fall, different flies work in all these different conditions. And if you're using these old flies, you learn what works and what doesn't work. And you can make minor changes to a fly. For example, a grizzly king is tied with a a forest green silk body. Um, And if you tie these small, and you would use a, a lighter, more of a lime, almost what we would call a caddis green today. That slight color variation in the body completely changes the performance of that fly hmm. for different conditions. Mm-hmm. So you learn this because, of course, we want to catch fish. That's what we're out in the water for. We enjoy being on the water and we enjoy being in the woods, but you know we like catching fish. Yep. So you learn. Yep. Well,
0: what do you think makes, when you think of classic flies, what, what makes a good... A good fly pattern, I mean there's so many variation when I look at these old books I mean I'm looking at another one from the Harlequin you know another one on your uh, oh, yeah. on your feed from Ray Bergman's book, and um, you know it's black it's all black it's got some uh, burgundy hackle they, can you describe me, because they all look kind of similar, just a bunch of different colors or well, they all look similar, but the last what what makes a good uh, classic wet fly well
1: it really depends on. Conditions uh, for book trout for salmon, landlocked salmon, Atlantic salmon, big, flashy, colorful, big wings, red, white, yellow, lots of uh, peacock curl, flashy. Um, for those fish, they love that stuff, whether mm-hmm. it be a wet fly. Um, for brown trout, more subtle. Uh, yeah, more more of the natural more flies. Like What's the there's, Harlequin.
0: There's... Is, is the Harlequin more of a, a? That's more of what? What would that be for?
1: The Harlequin is is an attractive fly, but it's black and it has has the wine colored hackle mixed with black. It's more of a natural looking fly. That, frankly, some of these flies work the same way a wooly bugger works. Um, you know, for example, that fly has, has a black wing, black hackle. You put it in the current, the wing lays down, it moves through the water. Very well could be a minnow. Very well could be a, just a, a yeah. creature in the creek that just looks good to eat to a trout and will grab it just like a, wool, you know, what's a woolly bugger? Yeah, A woolly bugger is a creek creature. It could be a <laughs> minnow. It could be a prey fish. It could be a. But the fish go for it, and, mm-hmm. and some for for brown trout. A harlequin wet fly is a great pattern. Most most of the most of the wet flies that I fish are large. Um, now I do tie them small, but um, by today's standards, they're they're large. Um, yeah, a harlequin, um, a Marlow buzz. It's a it's a peacock body. It's essentially a large soft hackle with a brown or rough grouse hackle.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I was fishing one of those this summer up in the Appalachian Mountains here in a beautiful river, and I caught, I hooked, I didn't land it, but I hooked the biggest trout of my life on that fly. That was a size six. Huh. This, this trout was was just downstream of a spring-fed uh, stream flowing into the river and it was under a big down sycamore tree in the cold water and i dropped that fly in front of him and he hit it he hit it three times before i hooked him Mm -hmm. and that was a big size six throat hook and man i'll tell you when he ran with that thing he really ran nice Um, he was big i have a video of it this fish was it would be comparable to a steelhead. It was a big rainbow trout. No kidding. But um, now that's more of a natural-looking fly. Who knows what he thought it was. Yeah. It, it could have been, to him, it could have been a, a stonefly. It could have been a terrestrial. Could have been, could have been uh, yeah. What about the silver? Bug, you
0: know? <laughs> I'm looking at the silver stork now, another one um, from Ray's book. And do you think, um, you know, I mean, do you have one of your Instagram post that you'd say is one of the most popular most common on or, or are they all pretty similar?
1: As as far as well, though there's, there's a big difference between flies that people like and flies that fish like.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Say the say the ones people like. So are, do you think it, so they're not always the same, huh?
1: Not really. It's funny because uh there's a book it was published in 1951. It's one of my favorite, one of my favorite books. That's um, um, Leonard. Um, there's 500 fly patterns. I'm sorry, 2,200 wet fly streamers. Jeez. J. Edson Leonard. Uh, the book wow. is called Flies, and it was it was published in 1950. <laughs> there are two books published around 1950. It was. Joseph Bates and Leonard Flies Joseph Bates has streamers yes and he you're right he uh he sent letters out and, and Carrie Stevens got back to him and she said you know regarding which fly works best she said you know most of my a lot of my flies were really made to catch fishermen <laughs> more more so That's what Carrie <laughs> Stevens said Yeah that's all. And yeah, and, and she. And this was toward uh, the end of her life. She said, "I really don't tie flies or fish anymore." She must have been getting pretty
2: old.
0: Have you heard because of that's true? Have you heard of Piscator flies? He's. Uh, I haven't, Darren. He's. I had him on way back. Uh, he, he's a big streamer guy, and he put together this thing called Streamers Three Sixty Five. It's a. Um,
1: Oh, yeah. 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 I'm familiar with that. Yeah, familiar. yeah. So,
0: yep. so Darren was one of the guys behind putting that whole thing together. I think it was a fly every day or something or however did it. But yeah, no, it's interesting. Okay. Um, so, but he talked about Kerry Stevens in there and, you know, the, the impact. Um, well, hey, uh, we are, Fred, we're getting pretty close here. I'm going to have to start, um, you know, wrapping this up here. And I, before we get into it, I just want to do, um, you know, jump in, you've mentioned a few really good resources. I'll put links to all those in the show notes. Um, I usually start, start this off, you know, just with a, like the two twenty two, which is top two flies, top two tips, top two resources. And we're thinking of fly tying. Have you, have we said maybe your top two, If you had to pick two flies for say brook trout that are classic wet flies? You know what, you know, you should have in your box. If you just had to pick two.
1: It depends on what part of the country we're in. If I were up in Maine fishing, I'd probably go more for like an Alexandra. Yeah, let's go.
0: Your, let's and, say Maine. Let's say we're. Let's let's just go with Maine.
1: If I were fly fishing in Maine for for brook trout, I would I would fish in Al, Alexandra on okay. a, regu- a regular wet fly um, on a sprout hook,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: and I believe that in Alexandra as well as many flies. Actually, replicate a minnow more than I do hmm. an insect. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say an Alexandra. Okay. And I would, I would go with Carrie Stevens' Featherwing Streamer, uh, the Boston Blackie. Oh, cool! It's it's kind of an, it's an unknown fly. I have it on my website and on my Instagram. It's a black fly with with the natural green sheen to it, and it has golden pheasant, green gills, shoulder. Oh yeah, uh, and it's just a wonderful fly. This it has a uh, um, golden pheasant or a jungle cock eye uh, on on the shoulders. It's it's a great fly. You can you can see that on my website or Instagram. Okay, cool. Yeah. Is, yeah, those two would be my first picks.
0: Okay, I'll take a look. And some of these, I will probably put a video or two where I can find them of uh, some YouTube stuff of some of the stuff we talked about. And then, um, yeah, you mentioned a a, a number of resources, I mean, some classic books and stuff. Anything else, maybe book, magazine, video, any any other resource for classic uh, wet flies you'd recommend people
1: check out? Sure. Um, There's six books that I focus on, and I think it really encompasses... Those books encompass the history of fly fishing in America from the period that we're talking about, and and this is not including the Catskill dry fly tradition, yep. uh, which is a, a world all wonderful world all the time. Yeah. Yes. Uh, must reads, wonderful books to have on your on your bookshelf in your library to page through. Fun to look through. People that know nothing about fishing or fly fishing love to look through and see Mm. the flies. Thaddeus Norris, Mm -hmm. uh, The American Angler. The American Angler's book would be one. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh,
1: The next would be Charles F. Orvis, Fishing with the Fly. Which was published in 1883. Wonderful, wonderful book. It didn't get the attention that Mary Ovis Marbury got with her book. It was, it was much smaller uh, than her book, uh, but still a wonderful, wonderful book. With poetry, oh, cool. uh, literature, and, and fly plates from, from back then. Hmm. Third favorite flies in their histories by Mary Ovis Marbury. That's 1892, which is incredible. That's mm-hmm. something that everyone should have. People love looking through it. <laughs> um, that is a, is a very big book. Um, 32 color fly plates, 233 trout and salmon flies. Colorful, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Really good read, too. Mm-hmm. The third, of course, is Ray, Ray Bergman's Trout. Um, and the other two I mentioned, um, uh, Joseph Bates, Streamers and Bucktails. It's called Streamers and Bucktails, The Big Fish Flies. Mm -hmm. Great book on on streamers. It came out around 1950. But of course, most of the flies were around long before World War II (laughs) or during that era. Color plates, um, fly dressings, how to tie them, how to fish them. And Jay Edson Leonard, Nineteen fifty. His book is called Flies, 2,200 Wet Fly Streamers, dry flies and Mints, the Patterns, Recipes, Instructions. It's wonderful. If you, if you, that pretty much would sum it up.
0: Yep. Yeah, that's, that's that's awesome. Yeah, there's some, uh, we're close to Christmas, so that's a, uh, that's a good Christmas uh, wish list. Uh, Oh, yeah.
1: And if you look on eBay, they don't cost
0: much. Oh, oh, do they, are they pretty (laughs) spendy, hard to get?
1: Not really. They're 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 always there and they're oh, cool. not expensive at there all. There you go.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. That's I,
1: awesome. I just I just got a, a second edition of Ray Bergman's Trout. Great shape with the cover. For with shipping, it was nine dollars.
0: Damn. Hard Yeah, yeah. You can't. Pay. I'm, yeah, I'm thinking of some of these books that are more recent, they're really popular books that are out of print, or some just hard to. I mean, yeah, some of those you'll pay hundred, two hundred bucks. Sometimes you'll see out there because you can't get them. Sure. That, that's good yeah. to hear. Well, what about two, um, you know, we talked a, a, a few tips here. You know, if you take a classic fly, say so you're sitting down to tie one of these classic flies and you're sitting there ready to tie in the tail or, or the tag or something, it, do you have a couple of tips, maybe some general tips, fly tying that come to mind that could help somebody tie a better fly?
1: Sure. Um, <clears throat> watch videos. Hmm. Uh, there's there's little tips that, that you can get. Which there's, videos? There's
2: which videos do you
0: like? Do you have, I mean, are you a, do you have a certain person or two that you follow or do you just kind of watch a little bit of everything?
1: Uh, well, I started talking a lot of stuff with our videos. Um, I, I think David McPhail is, is a, is a Amazing. wonderful resource. He's, yeah. he's so good. He, he's, he's a master fly tire and he, he knows all the little tricks and, he makes it look easy. Yep. Um, but he explains how he does things so that you can do it easily. You yeah, know, he, without struggling.
0: Yeah, he's amazing. You know,
1: if, if you invest some time in in uh, watching some of some of these guys, uh, it's it's well worth your time, and it would be a lot less frustrating for you once you hit the vise.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, use small thread. A lot of people when they start tying classic flies, I think you know, they're going to use a six out thread because it's bigger. It'll hold better. Small thread grabs material better. It's easier to use
2: mm-hmm.
1: eight odd thread. Yep. It'll grab the, it'll grab the, uh, the feathers better. It'll grab the, the animal fur, bucktail, whatever you're using and without building up bulk. That's yeah. a mistake that a lot of beginners make. Um, I would say if you, if you, if you tie a fly, it, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to look at some of the ugliest flies that I've ever tied work better than some of the real pretty flies I've tied. The fish don't look at the specifics of a fly like we do. No, you know?
0: but we do look at your, I mean, uh, you're, you're on your Instagram, we definitely like the uh, you know, the pretty flies. There's a, I'm looking at one right now, I think, I don't know if I mentioned this, this is that silver... Uh, which one was this one? It was the uh, silver. The, oh yeah, this is still on the silver stork. You got it. You got it clipped on your. It looks like a glass rod. Uh, uh, older glass rod. You got. Um, do you like to fish a lot of the traditional glass or or, or bamboo type of stuff
1: as well? Oh yeah, yeah I fish. That's I fish. I, I started out on old fiberglass rods, and I still use them fiberglass and. Bamboo. As a matter of fact, today I. I tied a new fly um, that I've been working on for a good wild brown trout winter winter pattern because they get pretty finicky, and the wood is clear. They they normally slow down and they hit smaller, more natural colored flies instead of the colorful, flashy stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: I tied a, a little streamer on a size six sprout bend partridge hook with red fox fur and mallard. With a green tinsel body small streamer and i i took it down tonight to the creek with my bamboo route and the third cast i hit a, a real pretty well 14 inch wild well grounds route mm. and that's satisfying that's yeah. that's really satisfying so yeah i fish i fish the bamboo and glass that's all i fish nice do you also
0: use um you know as far as the uh fly tying you know or are, are you what type of vice and uh, kind of tool are you do you have a special type you like to use or or brand
1: i, I tie on h m h yeah okay out of main um uh, good company good people yep um now i do want to say this there's a lot of different fly vices. I'm I'm more of a traditionalist and I like to keep things simple with the materials, the way I fish, the,
2: mm-hmm. the
1: rods I use. You know. I'm not a latest and greatest guy, but you don't need a fancy vice to tie flies. You could you could have a cheap you know, table clip on vice and do really well with that. You know. A, I tie it a lot on very cheap vices, and they work very well.
0: Mm-hmm. You mean like the old, thom- the old Thompson A-style vices? Sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But yeah, I tie it on HMH. I like it a lot. It's pretty. Yep. It functions well. Yep. It holds your hook.
0: What's HMH? Do you know what that stands for? Is that the name of You No, I don't. That's the name of the original, probably the founder or something, maybe his initials. I'll throw a I'll 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 throw that in the show notes if I can find out what that what that is. Maybe I'll get. (laughs) That's a good question. I'm in the process of uh, I'm in the process of uh, I've got a few fly tying companies. I'm not sure if I'm going to get Regal or some of those, but yeah, I might get the try to get some of the founders or at least people that are try to get the history there because yeah, there's a I mean HMH, there's Regal, Dyna King. I mean there's Mm -hmm. there's probably I don't know there's probably ten just huge amazing you know what i mean like really high quality companies oh, yeah. out there yeah so okay and um what about
1: uh
0: you know for your I, i've seen a couple of pictures i guess you got so your kids i'm not sure do you have some young kids or are they older or oh
1: uh, we have we have uh between our kids and daughter-in-laws and grandchildren we have 12 oh wow really so we're, we're we have a lot of kids in the family we love it and i take them Fishing, we all go. My, we enjoy the outdoors. We have, um, we get together at the creek and yep. swim and fish. And the kids go fishing with me. They love it. We get some exercise. And uh, young kids love fly fishing. They love looking at flies. Mm-hmm. They love being on the creek. Oh yeah, it's, it's wonderful. It is.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. What uh, you kind of thinking bigger bigger picture, you know, if you were going to leave one thing with your kids, you know, something maybe you haven't told them yet about kind of life or... I always think of my kids because they're a little younger, you know, stuff that I'm kind of thinking like, okay, mm-hmm. I got to make sure to tell them. Is there anything you would, you know, you could say now that you would be like words of advice, stuff that you've learned along the way?
2: Well, there's... Okay.
1: It's the simple things in life that bring you the most p- pleasure. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think the good things in life are easy. I think sometimes it takes a little bit of work and discomfort to really get to the good things, whether it's family, having children. Um, the outdoors is a good example. I think being outside and getting away from the screens and the. Yeah. Uh, phones and tv and getting out and experiencing life for yourself instead of watching people doing it i know other people do it go out and do it yourself and and get out and see see the streams out. i've been outdoors all my life i hunt fish trap regularly. oh really yeah and it's, I, I feel that it's been a, a very rich lifestyle and i my my sons are both outdoors and backpackers they hunt they're uh, yeah our grandkids we want them to be the same because they get to experience life outside of society and woods and wildlife and the beauty that you see there
0: totally so it's, you don't it's
1: really really wonderful
0: yeah so you don't have any kids that are i mean it sounds like all your kids were are into the outdoors
1: uh a few of them don't it but some do
0: Uh, i was just gonna say because it's not i have a brother it's always it's funny i've got three older brothers and yeah one of them just never he he likes kind of you know a little bit of it but he's not as hardcore as the three of us as far as the fishing and stuff like that but yeah yeah it's i think some people aren't aren't into it but no it's cool i'm just kind of scrolling through your your feed there and hey you got some cool stuff definitely definitely a little bit i think i think being
1: out well, I think, I think one of the best part parts of, of being an outdoorsman is where it takes you, 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 uh, you wouldn't go to these places unless you had a purpose. If, if you're fly fishing and you're pursuing wild trout, it takes you to some of the most beautiful places in America. Exactly. With clean streams and mountains and and same with hunting and in the outdoors. And that's, that's, uh, valuable to see those things in person and get to experience that, the smells, the sounds, you know, it's good life. Totally. Totally.
0: All right, cool. I'm, I'm looking at one more, one more photo here, the quack doctor, another one from uh, <laughs> uh plate plate number seven. That's a sweet, so it's got yeah, bright red with the, the silver mylar, we're not mylar, but just silver body. That was a, I guess, a pretty common, a common uh, fly uh, thing to use, right? Material back in the day.
1: Sure, yeah, mylar oh well, um actually a lot of a a lot of the the silver and gold pencil was 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 real metal tinsel back in the day when you when you go to the museums, oh yeah, um you see the the bodies look tarnished huh. and almost black like an old silver spoon, it's because it was real metal there now, you go. We use, now, now we use mylar, which oh, you know, keeps
0: it shine that's what it is, so yeah, it is mylar, right, it's mylar nowadays it's not actual metal. Or Officially, cool. All right, Fred. Well, I think that's about it. Um, you know, any? Uh, well, I guess one more question I had for you: your, your, your camera. What, what do you? Sure. Are you? Uh, are you like a cell phone guy, or do you have a full-on uh, photo studio set up to take these beautiful photos?
1: Well, uh, thank you. Outdoors, I use an iPhone.
0: Uh huh.
1: And in my flash studio, I use a, an iPad Pro. Oh really? no,
0: you use an iPad
1: iPad Pro, yeah. Yeah, that's it has a great macro camera ability. There, there's a, there's, it's it's been fantastic.
0: There's a good reason to get an iPad. I've kind of been thinking like, well, it'd be nice to a little iPad. Uh, well, I think the new iPhone ten or whatever or whatever it's called has a pretty cool camera as well.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. They're getting better, better and better.
0: Better and better. Amazing. That's kind of what they do. Have you seen the new um just on technology, it's kinda of funny. Have you seen the new Tesla truck?
1: I have yeah what do you think <laughs> good or
0: good or bad do you, do you like it do you like the look of it or not
1: i it doesn't appeal to me a lot i c i can see i can see the value in a in in a, an electric car with yep. power. Um, to me, it kind of looks like like the car from Back to the Future. Exactly. Yeah, that's what it looks like. It gets 500. The DeLorean, <laughs> the, the,
0: ex- the expensive one, the the one that I think it's sixty thousand or whatever it is. It gets 500 miles on one charge of the battery, which it's is really pretty wow. impressive.
1: That is very impressive. Well, that I would get, get me to
0: Northern Maine. <laughs> told that's what I was saying. And actually, I think it's not quite out yet, so maybe they don't have the technology. But that's what they're talking about. So, um, okay, cool. Uh, in uh, in the next uh, six to 12 months, anything new coming up for you or you know, kind of the, your stuff, the website, anything you want to note here?
1: Uh, uh, well, I'm always working on the website. I just up made a major update to it, and I was really actually surprised at how many flies I have on there. There's over 350 classic flies, wet flies, in, no in, in the, the classic fly gallery on my website. Wow. Uh, I'll be... I'll be tying it shows with Partridge of Redditch, um, Betty Flies, Betty Flies, Joe Fox, um, and various shows throughout the fly show season. Uh Of course, always fishing. um, I've been making videos on tying classic wet flies and streamers and how to fish them. I even do underwater footage of of old flies and how, how they look in the current, which is a lot of fun.
0: Nice.
1: Um, and I'm I'm working on several articles. The next one that I'm putting out is on the professor wet fly, how to, the history, how to tie it,
2: mm-hmm. and how to fish it. There you go.
0: Cool. And what's the next uh, show or, or uh, kind of event you're going to? I guess uh, the next the fly event. show. Yeah, fly show. Is that the one the, in the uh, fly show? And
1: uh, what's the closest one to where you're at? Uh there's there's a show up at Lake Harmony in the Poconos
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, there's one in Lancaster oh yeah uh, like yep a lot of them with with in Edison in I'll be playing with uh, for Joe Fox and Partridge of Redditch mm-hmm. so that should be a lot of fun cool looking All right. forward to that
0: I'll put a I'll put a couple links to some of the some of the events there as well and and if they uh, want to check in with you anybody has questions the uh, grizzlykingfly.com is, is your website best place
1: Yes, and there's there's links to my email and also my Instagram okay. account. Okay. on on
0: Instagram Perfect. All right, Fred. Well, that's uh, that's all I have for you. Just want to say thanks for coming on and uh, sharing your uh, your knowledge here and some of the classic stuff. It's been uh, it's I love it. I'm just looking at your website here. Um, I'm not sure what part I'm on, but you know, all the classic books. My dad has a bunch. You know what I mean? My he's got all the old classics, so I, it it brings back some memories. You know, just. Oh, great. Of, yeah, yeah. And I think and and that's part of this show. That's why it's fun to get you on. I, I'm trying to connect some of the dots to the historical piece. And, you know, today you've done that. And I, I'm sure a lot of people, those six books, just that, if they get that out of the show, is probably going to change some people's thinking as well. So, yeah, I just want to say thanks and we'll, we'll keep in touch with you.
1: Great. Thank you very much, David. It was a pleasure. Okay,
0: we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right, see ya. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes with all the links we cover, just go to wetflyswing.com slash 121. Quick reminder for the big uh, Pyramid Lake uh, fly fishing trip giveaway. Just head over to wetflyswing.com slash giveaway uh, to get all the details for the upcoming trip. Thank you uh, for your support. And uh, if you get a chance, would love for you to subscribe if you haven't already. Just uh, head over to wetflyswing.com slash subscribe and check out how to do it. Thanks again for stopping by to check out the show today. I'm looking forward to catching up with you soon. and hope to maybe see you online or on the river. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review
2: on iTunes.